Hey there, welcome to our first and new edition of Ask a Pastor. My name is Aaron Ellis, and I'm joined here with Daniel Nealon. Welcome to the show, Daniel Nealon. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Great to be with you, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, it's good to hear that again. Yeah. Um, but that's not true because you said that last time, but yeah, that's okay. you said it was new and improved. So. <laughs> oh, you're right. It is new and improved, and here's what's going on with that. So in the past, what we've done is we've done episodes, and we've tried to keep kept them somewhere around five and ten minutes. We've tried to keep them pretty short and succinct, but this time what we're going to do moving forward is we actually want to allow for more time to actually address more issues and, and dive deeper into the issues and spend more time, kind of kind of the a lot of time that we feel like uh, needs to take place in order to deal with the particular issue. So we're going to take as much time as needed within reason, yeah, Daniel, within reason. Yeah, Daniel, well, because you know how I, I the pastors, the preachers love to hear themselves talk. And so Daniel, we will keep this within reason, right? Oh, well, okay. I will try my best to keep it within reason. No promises though. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> so, well, tell me about this, Aaron. What is the purpose of Ask a Pastor then? What, what, what does it exist for? No, that's good because this is something that um, Daniel, you and I have been talking about mm-hmm. as we have kind of tried to reimagine what the, what the purpose of this is for. And so something that we landed on um, I just kind of a quick little pithy statement here is it's we thought it would be good to have a conversation that's designed to help Deer Creek Church think and act faithfully in the world. So kind of addressing specific cultural topics that come up yeah. in our day and age to help us think through things and um, and to really develop a biblical worldview around these things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, today's topic is kind of indicative of, hey, why we need to do that? Because yeah. what we're going to be talking about de- today around homosexuality is something that, you know, we definitely want to think biblically on. And the reality is we know people, uh, we love people that are asking these kinds of questions and struggling with these kinds of questions. So that's what we exist to do, or that's what we're hoping to accomplish here. Yeah, absolutely. And so Daniel kind of spilled the beans um, for the, actually for the next few episodes, and we'll just kind of take uh, one at a time, and we'll see how many it takes to get through this. But we want to really nail down and and address the topic of homosexuality. Uh, If you are like myself or like Daniel or just alive in the world today, you realize very quickly that you are, uh, we are being faced with this question almost by the hour, yeah. Really, and um, yeah. whether it's in in media or social media or um, billboards, uh, uh, marketing, advertising, anything like that, that it's it's right. all over the place. So right. it can really get disoriented and and, yeah. and um, disorienting and, and confusing to be a Christian and to really have and hold firm to a Christian worldview on this particular subject. Yeah, that's right. And you're uh, you know you're teaching uh, or leading a small group right now around this question of homosexuality. So yeah. I mean, even at Deer Creek Church specifically. You know, we have people that are wrestling with these questions very intentionally. Yeah, so yeah, and, and with good intent, too. So so um, we are blessed as a congregation to have thinking people in our, yeah. in our church. So that, that's <laughs> yeah. very good. Yep. So, um, hey, so so what, before we dive right into the question, why do you, what do you say we pray? And, yeah, um, let's pray. And we'll, we'll actually uh, focus today on a specific question. And um, so let me pray for us, and, and, and we'll get going. Yeah. So our Lord, we pray this morning that you would guide this conversation, let it be fruitful, and um, Lord, I pray that you would begin to affect our hearts, um, Daniel and I, and then also uh, the church of, of Deer Creek Church, Lord, affect our hearts to make us tender toward the people uh, who need to know Jesus and, and who need to know the truth. And mm-hmm. Lord, I pray that we would grow in kindness and graciousness to the world around us. And Lord, I pray that, that we would adopt an attitude of willingness to submit to your word and to grow by submitting to your word. We pray this together in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All thanks, right. Man. Yeah. Thanks. Well, here you go, Daniel. Yeah. Here's the first question. Okay. The first question that's going to launch us into into this series is what is God's design for sex and for marriage? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I like the way that you you kind of frame that because we could jump into okay, what does the Bible teach about homosexuality and you know, we could jump right to the verses and you know, Genesis 19 and Leviticus 18 yeah. and Leviticus 20 and then New mm-hmm. Testament, like Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 6. Right. Because um, the Bible does mention homosexuality, but really the way that this question is framed is, is really helpful because it's saying, hey, before you dive into that, you have to address a couple questions before that. Yeah. So as I've kind of thought about this, the, the way I think about it is um, the reason that we have such questions and are, I would say, kind of confused uh, even as a church sometimes around sexuality and homosexuality specifically is because we fail to ask the question of, well, what is marriage mm-hmm. and what is marriage, uh, and what's marriage purpose in God's design. And then the reason we don't really ask the question or have confusion around marriage is because well, we don't even know what God's design for creation is. Mm-hmm. So you almost have to ask the question of creation before you ask the question of marriage, before you ask the question of homosexuality. Yeah, because because you're making the point that this whole idea of of the biblical ethic around homosexuality, the prohibition, right, is actually based on a framework. Yes. Not just isolated yeah. passages that are that are just arbitrarily thrown out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So and you see this right at Genesis chapter one. So you can jump right in. We'll say, okay, so what is God's design for creation? Or what's he trying to communicate with the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1? And you see that there's this pattern when God creates the entire world. And it's kind of organized by the days of creation. So you have the first three days of creation, the second three days of creation, and this kind of final crescendo of day seven, right, that make up our week. So days... One, you see God creating light and darkness. Day two, he creates the sea below and the sky above. And then on day three, he creates land and water. So God's kind of creating these spaces, right? Light and darkness, land and water, sea above, sky above. And then on days four, five, and six, what he's created, he then fills or ties together um, and really complements with pairs what he created in the first three days. So day four... To fill light and darkness, God creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And then day five, in order to fill the sea and the sky above, he creates fish and birds. And then day six, he creates land animals to fill the land that he had created. And all this is building up to day six, the second part of day six, where then God says, I'm going to create man. And he says, behold, let's create man in our own image. Mm -hmm. So God is creating uh, almost, you could say, a complementary pair for himself, mm-hmm. right? That reflects himself in the world, and that humankind is supposed to join God on the seventh day, which is an eternal rest, a day that doesn't end. We're supposed to join him in eternity. So yeah. you really see at the beginning of this creation story, God is creating complementary pairs to go with one another in order to fulfill his purpose. Mm-hmm. So that's what you really see as kind of the framework of creation. Um, So then as you continue on, then the question is, well, then what's marriage? And that's where God also creates a pair for Adam, Eve, who's called, you know, his helper. And his helper Mm -hmm. is supposed to help him do what he was created to do, which is to have rule and dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, just as God has dominion over everything. Mm -hmm. 
So once you see that kind of framework, right, the foundation of what the Bible's saying, hey, this is what nature is for, Mm -hmm. it's to unite these pairs and ultimately unite all things of God and his creation in one organic whole for eternity. And um, so, yeah, that's what you see, creation and then uh, marriage. And then that gets into the final question, well, what's God's design for sexuality then? And we see, uh, well, two things, specifically in Genesis 1. You get a little bit more as you go on uh, in the Bible, but the first is procreation, Mm -hmm. right? So male and female are brought together so that they can carry out God's command, which is God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. So what he's saying is, hey, Adam and Eve, have more of my image bearers, procreate, create people so that they can take in this great work of having dominion over creation and being God's representatives on earth. Mm-hmm. So procreation. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the second is it's supposed to show the unity just as God is trying to unite heaven and earth. God is trying to unite us as his creatures to be a reflection of that union between him and creation. And you see that in Ephesians chapter 5. Like Paul is writing there and he says, hey, there's this great mystery when male and female become one in marriage, they become one flesh, mm-hmm. just as Jesus and his church become one. Yeah. So I would say, hey, to even start thinking about it, you have to have kind of those categories. Everything that God created is to unite and be in a complementary pair mm-hmm. in order to reflect what eternity is going to look like as the earth and God's people together with God forever together inseparable yeah that's good that's that's super helpful to think of it in that term and and really drawing out the fact of the complementarian nature yeah of of what it's designed to be right you have i mean really even biologically uh male and female are are very very different right yeah, and so absolutely. um yeah. and, and so sometimes that can be frustrating right and mm-hmm. in, in um i'm sure you experience this in your own marriage never, i don't never. think i'm you sure do. you I, do though yeah i yeah. do it all the time yeah <laughs> no no never mind no i don't jack yeah. is great you think yeah. of you think of michael jordan and you think of scotty Pippen. yeah that's right thank right. you all right. right i got that one or you think of simon sports. and garfunkel yeah that's right yes that's i know right. music simon too and garfunkel. Good. yep so you see yeah. complementary pairs. That's what God's doing in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Right. Um, and you really have to have that understanding of really what God's done in creation to get an understanding of marriage, to get an understanding of what sexuality is for, for procreation and unity. Yeah. So. No, that's super helpful. And even even what you were talking about, the, the relationship between Adam and God even and um, God's purpose around that. Um, I never really thought about that. That that's actually super helpful. We yeah. can maybe we can dive more into that in another episode yeah. About, yeah. about the complementary nature there. Um, but that, I think that's that's super helpful. Yeah, that's a good foundation. That, yeah. I'd say that that sounds like a good biblical foundation. Yep. Um, but something that comes up, uh, even with perhaps even an understanding of of the foundation of Scripture, yep. is is. An, an observation that people make is that the Bible doesn't really say much about homosexuality, right? Sure. They might even, they yep. might even um, yep. acknowledge <laughs> the fact that, yeah, Leviticus 18 says something about it. Romans 1 says something about it. Um, and and uh, what is it? A total of eight times it's mentioned yeah, it's in all the Bible. Of verses. Yeah, yeah, a handful so of verses. It's like seven to nine or eight, something like that. Right. And so their objection is, uh, since it's only mentioned a few times, mm-hmm. uh, so... 
yeah, how can we really prohibit something that's only mentioned mm-hmm. a few times? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and that's a, that's a fair question because we don't want to say, you know, the Bible is all about homosexuality. You know, right. it's not all about sexuality. And sometimes I think people can get the sense of thinking, no, that is what the Bible's about. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and that's all that Christians talk about. Sure. Um, the reality is, yeah, seven or eight times, maybe nine times, it's mentioned throughout the Bible. Yeah. So it's not an overwhelming number. Um, and as you mentioned, it's kind of scattered throughout the Bible, Yeah. you know, uh, from Old Testament to New Testament. Um, so a couple of things in just getting at that question is, well, there's two assumptions that we have to be careful of as followers of Jesus to not fall into. The first is, you know, the number of verses doesn't determine whether or not something is true. It's not like if the Bible says something a hundred times, it's more true than the stuff that the Bible says two times. Right. It's not like a, oh, the quantity is really what determines truth and God's attitude towards something. Right. We're talking about the quality of something. Yeah, exactly. Yep, absolutely. So that's the first assumption is, hey, the number of times doesn't make something more or less important because, you know, the Bible doesn't necessarily ever directly mention explicit racism as we understand it today. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Right. So if you were going to base racism and how God views racism based on the number of passages, well, dang, you're just going to have a hard time arguing that racism is wrong. Right. Right? Because it doesn't mention it exactly specifically in the way that we see it today. Yeah. So fall away from that trap. That's Uh kind of one ditch we can fall into, one assumption that's kind of... Uh, hazardous, but then there's a second ditch, you know, second assumption that's not good, and that's thinking that you can understand the Bible and take away certain verses, and it doesn't affect the whole. Oh, right, yeah. So, like, uh, you know, you like working on your car. Yeah. I like working on my car, Mm -hmm. and so if I'm going to be replacing spark plugs in my car, I have a V8 engine, you have a Volkswagen car is probably like only a four cylinder. No, it's right? five cylinders. Five. Believe it or not, five inline wow, five. Only man. The Come on, yeah, only the Germans. In, I was like, numbers. he's gonna get this. Yeah, let's see. Okay. But it's a lot faster for record than yours. So. Oh, it is. Okay, yeah, we'll have to race sometimes. Uh, we'll see. Go pink slips on that. No, but hey, so I have an eight cylinder engine. Yeah. And if I have to replace the spark plugs in those eight cylinders, I can't just take one out and uh, not expect the other seven cylinders to take a hit. Right. right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Because it's an organic hole. Yep. Now, can I get along for a while with like that? Yep, maybe. Yep. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, but it really works in such a way that if you do that, you're only doing that to your own demise. And that's how mm-hmm. the Bible works. It is this organic hole that operates together. So to take out one verse or two verses, or in this case, eight verses, and just say, hey, you can do that and it's not going to really affect anything, then you kind of run into a problem. Yeah. And so the best place to see this is, is uh, Paul, when he was writing to a young pastor, his name's Timothy. Mm-hmm. He makes it clear there. He says, hey, all of Scripture, yeah, all of it, yeah, all of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, reproof, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may equi- be equipped for every good work. Yeah. So we can't just look at the Bible and say, well, that's irrelevant, Sharpie. That's right. irrelevant, Sharpie, or yeah. I don't like that, Sharpie, because it is an organic hole. So we have to be very sensitive to that. Um, and Jesus approached it that way as well. Yeah. So Jesus said, you know, do not think I came to abolish the law 
I came to fulfill the law. And he said, not one jot or tittle from his word is going to pass away. Yeah. So we take it all seriously. Um, so that, those would be my cautions. Those are two assumptions that you get. Hey, it's only mentioned eight times. Well, yeah, uh, but quantity doesn't determine truth. Yeah. And then, you know, the Bible is an organic whole, so we can't just take what we dislike or number of verses out without compromising the whole. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Jesus, and especially in that context, because another objection is people mention, you know, Jesus doesn't say anything about this. But mm, but the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is, is, is he actually does, um, if, you, if you understand the entire framework of Scripture, as you pointed out, oh, yeah. Yeah. in the use of the law and that which he has come to fulfill. Right. And, and yeah. so in that, then he, and, and all throughout his ministry, he's constantly yeah. affirming the Old Testament and, and constantly affirming um, the, the Old Testament as a whole. Yep. And I think where we get hung up is is comparing different types of law and and again we can maybe we can just touch on this really quick but um really quickly but it may, it may be even this will be something i'm sure we're going to keep coming back to yeah. in, in in different episodes which are the, the three uses of the law yeah right and um and how we ought to understand the difference between civil ceremonial and um and and moral law yeah. right yeah. And so, so when we when we hear things, an objection that I hear often is, okay, so if we're going to prohibit homosexuality, then we also uh-huh. should um, also should continue to prohibit wearing clothes of mixed fabrics, right? Sure. So that's yep. Leviticus nineteen, yep. um, nineteen nineteen, and and actually, uh, there's there's quite a few really puzzling laws in in oh, the book totally. of Leviticus that are just yeah. you know mind boggling. <laughs> Why yeah, would this just, ever be the case? I was just reading Leviticus this morning, and you know, it was laws around whether or not you have some sort of unclean growth in your house. Yeah. So you know, if a stone in the wall of your house is has kind of this abnormal growth in it, probably mold or something yeah. is what they're referring to. Yeah. You know, the priest was supposed to go figure out if that was a clean or unclean sort of infection. Yeah. Um, and yeah. take out that those stones, bring them outside the camp. The whole house is unclean. People are ceremonially unable to go and worship God because yeah. of that. So yeah, plenty of weird things in the yeah. Old Testament. And and you used it right there. Three uses or three uh, types of law uh-huh. that we see in the Bible. Oh yeah, three types of law. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's and um, we'll have to dive into this in another episode. But yeah, just briefly. We see, uh, especially because we'll be talking about Leviticus, so we'll dive back in in Leviticus too. Um, We see these three types of law. Um, The first is, as you mentioned, ceremonial laws, Mm -hmm. right? These are laws that have to do with God's people approaching God and certain ceremonial rites and certain ceremonial precepts that they had to follow in order to approach God. Yeah. So a good example would have been uh, if you ate a certain type of fish— right? Like yeah. a shellfish, a yep. lobster, a crab, you would be ceremonially unclean. Uh-huh. And then you were barred for a number of days being unclean from approaching God and worshiping him. Yeah. And the whole purpose behind that was to show really this moral stain that sin has on us. Yeah. And just like this kind of food pollutes you, God was trying to say, hey, that's uh-huh. how sin pollutes you. It yeah. makes it so that you can't approach God. Right. So there are ceremonial laws, there are civil laws that just pertain to Israel and the Old Testament as a nation, sure. and then there are moral laws, and this is key, because when we're talking about moral laws, those are in the Old Testament, and we see that those are true not just for Israel, but they're true for all of creation uh-huh. in all times, all places, for all people. Yep. So that's super helpful. Yeah. 
You did mention this too, uh, and you know, maybe we can kind of land the plane on this, but yeah, people often say, uh, and for those of you who don't know, I went, I went to Vanderbilt Divinity School, which was, you know, a really progressive seminary. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that people would say is kind of an objection is, well, Jesus never mentions homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And in one sense, that's true. Jesus yeah. never actually addresses the topic of homosexuality directly. Um, but again, there are three assumptions. So, you know, in the last question, there were two ditches you could fall into. There's three here, right? The first sure. is that um, when people say that, they're assuming that the words of Jesus carry more weight than other words of the Bible. Right. Jesus made it clear that, you know, all of the Old Testament scriptures yeah. pointed to him. Yeah. Jesus regularly repeated words of the Old Testament. We quoted him a little bit earlier when he said, hey, not one word, yeah. not a jot or a tittle is going right. to fall away. Yep. Uh so we have to be careful of that assumption. Jesus' words are not more important necessarily than any other words right. in the Bible because it's all. It's all. They're it's all a, Jesus' words. Not, not just the red letters. Yeah, not just yeah, the red letters. Not just the red letters. If you have yeah. a Bible that has red letters, you know, that those are Jesus' words. Don't have words. to reprint it and put it all in red letters because <laughs> all the words are Jesus. Yeah, you, right? that's a great point. Yeah. That's good. No, that's true. Nothing wrong with red letters. It's no. just when you have black letters too, it gets right. confusing because all the letters are Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's the first. Um but the second thing that it does, kind of the second ditch, is um, Jesus does affirm the one man, one woman norm yeah. for creation. Yeah. So Jesus, uh, a number of times, was approached by people, and he was asked specifically about divorce. And Jesus, in talking about divorce, said, hey, the reason that God allowed divorce for a time was because of people's hardness of heart. But he says, that's not how it was in the beginning. And by implication, he's saying, that's never how it was intended to be. Yeah. He says, in the beginning, God created them male and female. Uh-huh. And the two shall become one flesh. Yeah. And that what God has brought together, no man should separate. Yeah. So what Jesus is getting at there is, hey, the natural intent, God's purpose, his design was that male and female were supposed to come together, right? So we see that. So you have to be careful you're not assuming that Jesus doesn't give us a positive sexual statement. But he also, in other places, condemns sexual immorality. And the thing about sexual immorality, it's the word, it's a Greek word, porneia. And sexual immorality uh, is kind of a catch-all for any sort of deviation from God's sexual standard. Yeah. So included in that, sexual immorality would have been homosexuality. It would have been unlawful sexual lust heterosexually, mm-hmm. right? It would have been things like pedophilia, mm-hmm. polygamy, uh, even sensuality, like sensuous thoughts outside yeah. of what's proper and, and decent before yeah. God are added in that. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this in a sermon uh, when I, we, we preached about homosexuality uh, about a year ago now, mm-hmm. um, that... Just because Jesus doesn't mention homosexuality specifically doesn't mean he doesn't address this condemnation of all sexual immorality. Right. Because, uh, and I use this illustration as well, that I tell my kids, don't throw the ball in the house. Right. Right. And say, you know, it's, and this is better for your kids because your kids, yeah. you know, throw balls they're in the house. They're right? always throwing balls in the house. And if they're throwing a football one day and you say, yeah. hey guys, don't throw the ball in the house. Uh-huh. The next day you come in and they're throwing a soccer ball back and forth. You say, guys, <laughs> right. I told you not to throw the ball in the house. Uh-huh. And yep. 
they would say, well, yesterday was a football, today yeah, it's a Dad, soccer ball. Yeah, it was a football. You never said anything about a soccer right. ball. Right. <laughs> now, you don't have to say, hey, kids, Boaz, Tyndale, do not throw the football, the soccer ball, the baseball, the basketball, right. the bocce ball, or... Yeah. The mochi ball. The mochi ball. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't even know what a mochi ball is. It's a thing with ice cream. They're oh, really okay. good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds Nick good. I pronounce it right. Oh, <laughs> uh, meatball. Yeah. All that. Whatever. Throw in anyone you want. But uh, just because Jesus doesn't explicitly condemn every single sort of sexual immorality, yeah. doesn't mean he doesn't condemn all sexual immorality. Right. Yeah. Right. Full stop. So yeah. I think if you're aware of those three things, then you. When somebody kind of says, hey, Jesus doesn't mention homosexuality, in a sense it's true, but in a lot of other ways it's untrue. Right. So um, we just need to be discerning about that and, and faithful as followers of Jesus to, to make that clear. Because um, if we don't have those kind of categories, then it's going to be really hard to talk with somebody meaningfully and persuasively yeah. uh, around the issue of homosexuality. Yeah, so. that's good. Yeah. Well, thanks, Daniel. That's that's super awesome. I, I really do appreciate that. And and just so you guys know that the the two of you who are listening, hi mom. Um, <laughs> uh, we uh, you know our hearts behind this are um, uh, we have a, a desire to have tender hearts around this particular subject and Absolutely. and yeah. um, and and to go th- into this subject prayerfully and carefully, um, uh, acknowledging the fact that there are um, th- there's a lot of uh, relational hurts around this particular subject and um, broken families even around this this subject Absolutely. and um, and so uh, our desire is is to approach this with gentleness and respect and and care and humility um, as, as we really want to uh, submit ourselves to God's word and and we desire and we pray that our church our congregation and, and the big C church as well would would yeah. uh, submit themselves to God's word and and um, be in line with what God has to say about this kind of stuff Amen, so Amen. Um, so thanks for tuning in we really appreciate it. We are going to be releasing this, uh, after we release this episode, we're going to be releasing another episode um, that that is more follow-up questions on this particular subject. So stay tuned, and, and we'll be looking forward to seeing you again uh, in the next episode. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, guys. All See right. ya.